Good morning. Welcome to everyone. My name is Nayaswami Ananta. This is Nayaswami Maria. This morning, uh, Brahmachari Jitendra will give an inspiring talk to share with you. Um, we're very glad that you could join us today. Uh, if you're a guest from the Expanding Light, or from the meditation retreat, or if you're just a visitor to Sunday service, thank you for coming. Please make yourself at home. Uh, there'll be a lunch after service at the Expanding Light dining room. You'd be welcome to join us for that also. I'd like to read from Rays of the One Light, which is parallel passages from the Bible and the Gita, written by Swami Kriyananda. This week the topic is Victory demands the courage of conviction. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Jesus Christ said in the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 10, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I am come not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth, that is to say, that clingeth to his life, shall lose it. And he that loseth, in other words, that giveth up his life for my sake, shall find it. God tests the firmness of our faith. The sword described here is the sword of discrimination. The struggle Jesus describes is not a war against unknown enemies, but the struggle with our own attachment to all that is nearest and dearest to us, humanly speaking. Ultimately, it is a war against the ego itself and against anything with which we surround ourselves to bolster the ego's fragile sense of security. When Yogananda, as a boy, fled to the Himalayas to embrace a life of solitary meditation, he was apprehended by his older brother, Ananta, and brought home again. At a certain point, before he would accept defeat, he whispered to his friend Amar, his companion on the flight, let us slip away when opportunity offers. We can go on foot to Rishikesh. But Amar, whose brother had accompanied Ananta, had turned pessimist disclaiming any intention of continuing their adventure. Yogananda's memorable comment on Amar's refusal was, he was enjoying the familial warmth. The spiritual warrior rejects that familial warmth. Rather, he claims the whole universe as his home. As the Bhagavad Gita puts it in the 14th chapter, unaffected by outward joys and sorrows, or by praise and blame, secure in his divine nature, regarding with equal gaze a clod of mud, a stone, and a bar of gold, impartial toward all experiences, whether pleasant or unpleasant, 
firm-minded, untouched by either praise or blame, treating everyone alike, whether friend or foe, free from the delusion that in anything he does, he is the doer, such and one has transcended nature's triune qualities. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Also, just take a moment to congratulate all those who received Kriya for the first time last night. So, Master's blessings. I hope you heard the first part. <laughs> I was wishing all of you blessings, Master's blessings, for those who received Kriya last night. So, in that blessing from our Guru, I'd like to read from Whispers from Eternity, which are prayer poems and prayer demands by Paramahansa Yogananda. Would the torch of our devotion blaze away our dark indifference? Divine Mother, let every slap of correction administered by thee ring from us thy children only cries for thy love. Change any moans of our suffering we utter into unceasing wails to be lifted comfortably into thy cosmic lap. O oh, Divine Mother, teach us even when we are bludgeoned by pain to sing only thy exalting songs of joy. Melt our pride in thy purifying furnace of all necessary trials to transmute the lead, the lead of unseemly arrogance into the pure gold of humility. Divine Mother, clear out the brooding slum of our selfishness, wherein crouch huddling in pain the starving ill-clad urchins of our ignorance. Build there instead thy temple of omnipresence where noble votaries of devotion, solemn reverence, and aspiring love can worship thee with pure hearts, dressed in the simple, clean garments of single-minded intention. In that golden temple, softly echoing thy whispered inner guidance, thy devotees will offer before thy altar the fragrant sense of unceasing remembrance as they sing to thee their soul chants. O Divine Mother, we lay eagerly at thy feet all the fresh-cut flowers of our devotion. Our humble prayer to thee is this. Convert the little altar of our united hearts into thy blazing light of thy omnipresence. Divine Mother, be thou the only love of our souls. Ignite our damp wood of earthliness with the flame of infinity. Let the torch of our own devotion blaze in the dark forest of our indifference restlessness in ignorance. Inflame our minds with thy thoughts, our hearts with thy love, our souls with thy eternal joy. So today's topic is one of great importance for all of us as devotees, as though all of those on the spiritual path. There was a book written by Brony Ware, who she was a hospice nurse living in Europe and had served the divine in this way for many years. And she wrote a book uh, entitled The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And you could say, oh, that seems sort of heavy. That's a heavy topic. Well, of course, it's a topic that 
her intention was to help educate and support individuals uh, in this life toward their higher aspirations. And you know what, in her book, what the, what the, the, the most uh, prevalent regret was among those who were transitioning? It was that they felt that, I wish I would have had the courage to live the life that I knew that I was destined to live. And so, this morning, I feel that that is a good question for us to ask ourselves. What is the life that we are here destined to live? I think all of us have, of course, answered that question to some extent because we've entered the spiritual path. We came into this life and we had that remembrance that there is something more in this life than just fitting in or there's something more to this life than just getting the better job or the better car or trying to find the right shade of yellow that matches your blue eyes. Uh, there's something more that our hearts could feel. At some point in this life, we remembered that we are loved by God, that we can develop a personal relationship with the divine. And once that call begins to unravel itself to us, showing itself to us, then, of course, we had to make a decision. We had to make a decision to either turn and listen to that inner whisper of our hearts and souls or to continue onward with the life that we had been living. And all of us who are here today, those who are online, we've all made that decision. We've all followed that inner whisper, that guidance, which is the grace of God. It is the grace of our soul that is longing for our home to be in the light, in the love of God. And so this is our journey, that it's not over yet. We've entered the spiritual path, we're moving forward. And where is our ultimate fulfillment? Where, is, where does our victory lie? One of the things that our guru Paramahansa Yogananda said is that the, soul, the soul's ultimate destiny, the victory of the soul, really is reflected in the words that Christ often said, that I and my Father are one. That is our, our victory. Our victory lies in self-realization, in the techniques and teachings that have come from our guru, from all the great saints and sages of all traditions, have come to give us the tools, to give us the teachings, and how we can win this battle between our little self and our higher self. And this is the, the, the definition of yoga. Yoga means union, union with your little self, with your higher self. And so, of course, Christ has come, and today's reading, of one of great strength, that you know, I remember when I first read this uh, many years ago, I thought, wow, Christ certainly had a lot of power when he came to say that he didn't bring peace, but he brought a sword because he knew that the devotees who were on the journey of finding God needed to confront delusion, that it takes great determination to find God. And so with this, of course, the sword representing discrimination but also for us it, and for, for all souls, that it also is attunement, attunement to the guru, attunement to the teachings that are there to guide us toward victory, to use that uh, for this battle that we are in. And 
we have to confront that aspect of ourselves that is trying to always bring us into that, that place of familial warmth, that place of comfort. And there is our soul wanting to march onward. And so there's this inner battle, and this is what is reflected in the battle of Kurukshetra in the Bhagavad Gita. Of course, it's an allegory of the inner battle that we have to face. And one of the things that gives me great ease in knowing is that all those qualities of ourself that seem so much a part of who we are, it's not that we have to kill them, but rather, as Krishna said, we transmute that energy, we take that energy, and we then use it for uh, the journey ahead. We use it to, to invest in our higher self, the qualities that are going to lead us toward, toward, toward victory. And when Jesus was mentioning that he also has come to, to um, set daughters against their mothers and sons against their fathers, um, this, of course, he wasn't trying to destroy the family unit. Instead, he was trying to teach us that we have to cut these cords of emotional attachment where, wherein we get caught in trying to define the love of our hearts to a form, to a relationship. But rather, especially our guru has taught us that we must expand our hearts toward infinity. We have to expand the love that we feel for our mother, the love that we feel for our father. And we have to spread that and feel that united love with everyone that we meet. And so this is our day-to-day -day practice, is trying to release these attachments that cling us to, to ego consciousness, to suffering. In the best way also to use this power, which representing the sword, of course, is of love. And it's, it's that day-to-day -day remembrance that we are loved by God, that we can ignite this power within our hearts and then to use that power to, to move swiftly to our true home in God. There was a, a, a Sunday school teacher who was sharing the Ten Commandments with her children who were about five or six years old. And of course, was sharing a little bit about some of these teachings from Christ. And she was speaking about how in the Ten Commandments of how to honor thy mother and father. And after they spoke about this topic for some time, she then posed the question, question to her students and said, uh, can anyone think of anything that could apply from the Ten Commandments to how to treat our brothers and sisters? And without any hesitation, one boy stood up and said, Thou shall not kill. <laughs> I think that, yes, that's good. It's a good starting point. But you see, it's this, this, our path is that we become more and more refined in the, the, in the inner self, in the higher self within us, that it becomes more and more refined, where we begin to apply the teachings toward every moment of our life, that every moment becomes transmuted into the highest potential, which is, of course, to, to see the love of God, the beauty of God, reigning in all hearts. We see it in the song of birds. We see it in nature. And we have to, as Swami Kriyananda said, that when we take up the spiritual path, it's a serious thing. And he said this in a talk, it's a serious thing. And I thought that was a nice way to, uh, to understand 
that it is a serious thing. It does require austerity. But it's also we have to bring forth that, that joyful uh, enthusiasm for wanting to know God. In Swamiji, um, he said that, you know, for all of us, there is something very great at stake. It is, of course, ultimate fulfillment in God that we have that potential in this life. In, in some way, it is a matter of a life and death struggle. It's not, of course, relating to this body, because yes, this body will pass, but to the soul. And isn't it a form of destruction to, to forget who our true nature, what our true nature is? You know, last night, I, um, we haven't had power here at Ananda Village for a few days, and, um, and thousands of other people also around us. And it was interesting because last night, uh, the power came on at some point yesterday, which was great. Um, and last night I came home and it was dark. And I had just forgotten that I had this potential of turning switches on to turn the lights on. So I had to do a couple of things, which required, of course, seeing small items in my room. And, and of course, I just went forth trying to find these things in the dark. And then I finally realized, turn on the switch. There's electricity. There's power. And I think that that in many ways, you know, it's, that's, that plays out again and again in our life where we just forget. We forget that we have this power that we have to tune into because that power, which really, as Yoganandaji Ji said, it's the inner calmness. It's the throne of God rests upon the inner calmness and the inner stillness. And as we tune into that power, ultimately what happens is we begin to see manifested in our life. We see the things illuminated in our life that need to be offered up that need to be purified. And we have to have the courage to stand there and behold when that becomes illuminated. Because as this power begins to awaken within us through daily meditation, through devotional self-offering and everything we do, those aspects of ourselves that need to be released are going to show themselves to us. And if we keep returning to that inner calmness, as we keep tuning into that power and Every moment that you can, keep every switch on in your inner house because that light is going to, not only it illuminates those things that need to be removed, but it also is the source of purification. Ultimately, that's the light that will transmute that quality within you that is no longer serving you in lifting it into greater joy and greater love. So let nothing s stand in your way. Our guru gave us that example really strongly in the autobiography of a yogi. If you remember when his father um, was speaking against his guru, Swami Shikteshwar, and what did our guru say? He said, if you continue to speak against my guru in this way, I will disown you. That was a very strong example. But for all of us, we have to take that inside and ask ourselves, where in my life perhaps do I need to confront something something that is holding me back, and have that power, that courage to know that the ultimate goal in my life is to find God. Our guru told us to always remember that, to say that again and again in your heart and mind, the ultimate goal of my life is to find God. And everything that stands in the way, pray, meditate, offer up those things, because ultimately that is where our fulfillment lies. Time is really flying by unless that clock is incorrect. So I'm going to speed ahead here. 
Um, one of the recent uh, teachings of our guru that I thought was very inspiring is he spoke about hope. Now, I don't know about you, but my first response to uh, hearing the word hope or thinking about hope, I thought that that was for the mild and meek, those people who were perhaps not yet strong enough to really get into the battle. It might be at home cooking and just kind of thinking about, mm, should I enter the battle or not? But no, our guru has placed great emphasis on hope. And he has urged us to never stop hoping to find God in this life. And in fact, that everyone, whether consciously or just mentally or whatever level, everyone has hope. And it's because of the latent divine mansion that lies within, that is constantly urging and whispering to every soul to, to come home and to find their true purpose, to, try and their, to, to realize their true fulfillment. And so keep hope alive as you move forward each day. This will help serve us in great ways if we can really keep that hope alive that, yes, my, my next Kriya breath that I am offering to God, my next practice of Hong Sa, my next measured breathing, whatever it is you're doing that you've been given from the divine in the form of technique or the teachings, to feel that in that you can find God. And when you approach your practice, when you approach the teachings in that way, with that positive attitude, then we begin to have a greater, much greater uh, opportunity to realize the potential in that technique or the potential in the teaching that we're practicing. I very much enjoy uh, the chant that Naiswami Maria uh, chanted today. And Yogananda actually uh, would tell the story of Sri Jaitanya. And the story of Sri Jaitanya uh, in India, he wasn't one who uh, went around speaking uh, deep philosophical truths about uh, the spiritual path and how to find God. In fact, he said that I only really had a few words that I would share. And thousands of people would want to come hear these few words. And what were those words? It was Radhe Radhe Govinda Jai, spirit and nature dancing together, victory to spirit, victory to nature. Thousands would come in that wake, as he said, I only tried to share the, the burning love in my heart that I have for God and the, the love that I see between the mother and the child, between the father and the son, in all the birds, all of nature. And so once he was, he was, Yogananda tells a story that once Chaitanya was walking through the streets chanting, Radhe Radhe Govinda Jai, you know, hundreds would start following. But at some point he lost the crowd and he found himself in this, this, this large field. And there was a washerman there washing his clothes. And he said, washerman, join me in singing to my beloved. And the washerman holding a bunch of clothes said, get out of here, you crazy person. Leave me alone. And he said, oh, please grant me this wish. Just sing with me once to my beloved. And so the man wanting to get rid of Jaitanya said, okay, once. And so sing with me, Radhe Radhe Govinda Jai. And before you know it, the man dropped the clothes and his arms rose to the air and he's chanting, Radhe Radhe Govinda Jai. And of course, this beckoned the, 
uh, curiosity of his wife who came out with her broom saying, what are you doing with that crazy man? Drop, get back to washing the clothes. And of course, Chaitanya said, oh, just once, once, sing with us, just once. And so the, the wife started to sing, Radhe, Radhe, Govinda Jai. And then she dropped her broom and her arms rose and she started to sing the glory of the divine. And then, of course, all of the, the townspeople started to come with their brooms, and especially those who liked to gossip. They would, they would come and say, especially to the, to the wife, what are you doing? What are you doing with this crazy man? At once, leave him. And they tried to drive Chaitanya away, but of course, very soon after, they dropped their brooms, their arms rose to the air, and they sang, Radhe, Radhe, Govinda Jai. And hundreds, thousands, as Daitanya spread the joy of the love of God that he felt in his heart. And it came from that place within. It wasn't an outward show. It wasn't an outward act. It was born out of that day-to-day that -day cultivation of the love of God that was put into practice time and time again. And then eventually this, this great magnetism of his burning love for God not only transmuted his own life into a life of joy and love, but it also carried in its wake all other souls who were in doubt, who were skeptical. But just the same, you know, this story that Yogananda would like to tell, and Yogananda would say, sing with Jaitanya, sing the praise of God, sing the love that you can see all around you. And just as all the townspeople got sucked into that wake of divine love and joy, just the same, our inner our inner village, our inner kingdom, also will get swept up in that joy. So although the spiritual path, as, you, as Swamiji said, is a serious thing, we have to approach it because many, many lifetimes we have lived and made mistakes. We have thought, you know, just this one time, I, can, I could do this just once, but it is a matter of life and death for us spiritually sometimes. So, but to know that it's done in a way of a joyful, enthusiastic uh, self-offering each day, that we get to live our life in the search for God. You know, one th <clears throat> to kind of start to close here, uh, I think many of us are aware, if you're not aware, uh, our guru would often encourage people to become a smile millionaire. And I learned recently that uh, when Yogananda first started to spread this message was actually during World War II, during the Depression. And because he noticed that all of these uh, people were just having a very hard time and they were in despair and depression, and especially those who made, they were millionaires, very wealthy people, lost everything. And many people were then uh, starting to, you know, uh, commit suicide and because it was too hard to bear. So that's when Yogananda launched this mission of become a smiling millionaire. He began to encourage people that if you look within, then you'll find that there is this unchanging reality within you that is of joy, that is of love. And so as he spread this mission of becoming a smiling millionaire during this hard time, this is the victory that we have to keep working toward is to not fold into the familiar warmth, just as Sri Ramakrishna would say that as the fisherman releases the net to catch the fish, at any point in time, the fish can jump out of the net, uh, but instead they all begin to swim inward toward the huddle from where it's familiar and where it's warm. 
And so we have to keep alive this, this divine joy because it's in the divine joy that we're going to be able to overcome these obstacles. Um, there's a story of a, a woman that my friend was sharing with me recently. Her name was uh, Majorit Savage. And she was, during World War II, she had five children living, um, you know, with her husband. And, and um, <clears throat> she, um, she was displaced and had to move to the countryside in Poland. And it was a very challenging time. She got displaced from her husband as well, and so she had five girls. And no food, you know, hardly no shelter. There was sickness everywhere. It was a really challenging time. But the story of the daughters would share how she always kept her faith really strong. She always kept positive. No matter what was happening, no matter what the circumstances, she would turn anything into a fun game with the children, or she just kept that faith alive. She had a relationship to God, and she clinged to that during this challenging time. And so uh, it came a time that she became very ill. And so she was hospitalized. And the story that one of her uh, daughters shared, which she was about seven years old, uh, she said that the nurse, she heard the nurse's footsteps walking to where the daughters were. And she just had this intuitive feeling that mother has, has passed. And so she decided to go visit her mother. And when she walked in their room, the mother was laying on the bed. And after such a hard time of raising five girls in these really challenging circumstances, there she laid on her, her bed as she, as she just passed away with a big smile on her face. And that's the victory. The victory is if we, we hold on tight for this life, then the joy, the love of God, we will know at our last breath that we, we have always been with God, we always will be with God, and that joy will set us free. And I'd like to close with this poem that our guru wrote, which uh, I invite you to close your eyes and just accept this as a gift from Guruji in your heart. In this poem by our Guru, my love told me to love thee alone. As winter came with its garment of cold lily flakes, my desires for summer joys were dulled, and I was told to seek the warmth of thy heart. As spring came dancing, decked with mirrored flowers and sprinkled with wild perfumes, it told me to love thee. Summer came singing through leaves and swishing through pines, urging me to sing of thee. Even the soft-hearted sod caressed my hasty footsteps and cautioned them tenderly to approach thy temple everywhere. And the fragrance told me to follow its trail to the secret cloister in the forest of pollen, and the birds told me I should try to sing of thee as they were doing. In the breeze blowing over the lake, roused the ripples of my devotion to play over thy bosom. And with the bowed blades of grass, I learned to bow my head to thee. The incense told me how fragrant thou art, and that I should make my heart perpetually burn with sweet-scented goodness before thy throne everywhere. The mute, downtrodden, uncomplaining little stones told me to behold thee in those people who try to tread upon my happiness. In the foolish, forgotten years told me to send a message of love 
encased in every second, and every thought told me to seek thy hiding place in their hearts, and my love told me to love all things in thee, and my love whispered to me to love thee alone. Om Guru.